Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And welcome into our fourth and final hour of our four-hour block of outdoor programming. Heard each and every Saturday morning. Glad you decided to join us and tune us in. Uh, got an interesting hour to spend. We're going to close it out the second half hour, taking you out to some of the duck blinds around the state. We've got Mike Smith going to be joining us from the Reggio Delacroix area in the eastern part of the state. Uh, moving a little bit further west, uh, Captain Ryan Lambert is out there along the Plaquemines Parish area and then out west to southwest Louisiana near Calcasieu in Big Lake. We'll be talking to uh, Kirk Stansel with Hackberry Rod and Gun. Um, but before we do that, we're going to talk about whooping cranes. Uh, in particular, if you were tuned in earlier, uh, that case that I had spoke about, the, the most recent sentencing and pleading of a, a man who shot a whooping crane, a crane and uh, went to court, uh, took a plea, and was sentenced, uh, in my opinion, obviously, if you heard me, a uh, very, very light sentence, basically a slap on the wrist for what I consider to be a very, very serious offense. Uh, joining us to talk about this is Lizzie Condon. She's back. She, if you recall, she was with us last year. She's with the International Crane Foundation. Lizzie? Um, oh, okay. Well, we're trying to, we lost Lizzie. We're trying to get her back. I think Philip is also, uh, we're waiting for Philip, too. Yeah, okay. We have Philip Vassour, who is with the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. Uh, we had some gremlins in the phone system going on there. We're going to get them back on shortly. But I, I will begin by telling you that uh, the whooping crane is uh, its a heck of a story. Uh, they're magnificent birds. Historically, they, they were in Louisiana, and due to a combination of circumstances, including uh, changes in agriculture, changes in habitat, and uh, pretty much a disregard for conservation uh, around the turn of the century, the 19th century, or 20th century, I guess. Um, they virtually disappeared by the 1940s. And since that time, there have been some experiments to reestablish a resident population uh, here in Louisiana. And there have been some very interesting uh, scientific uh, technologies and, and, and techniques that have been used to establish what I consider a very successful restoration of the whooping crane. And in fact, it's hoped that it will even expand further and make them a permanent uh, resident here in the state of Louisiana. I believe we have Lizzie back with us now. Is that correct? Lizzie, are you there? Hi, yes, I'm here. Oh, good to talk to you, Lizzie. Thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, Lizzie's with the International Crane Foundation. Lizzie, if you would tell us uh, about the International Crane Foundation, uh, what a, who is the organization, what is its mission, and, and how uh, do you deal with uh, what we have going on here in Louisiana? Sure. Well, uh, we are truly international. Our global headquarters is in Baraboo, Wisconsin. Uh, we work around the world. There are 15 species of cranes. Uh, they're in uh, five continents, so we work in over 50 countries. Uh, 11 out of the 15 are threatened or endangered. Uh, so we work around the world uh, trying to find solutions that benefit people and wildlife. Um, and we do get involved if a whooping crane is shot. The whooping crane is the rarest of all the crane species. There's only about 850 of them in the entire world. 
which is up quite a lot. Uh, there used to only be probably less than 30 of them in the 1940s and 1950s. Uh, there still aren't a lot of them, and so especially in, in a population like the one in Louisiana that is trying to become established, uh, we do try to get involved when these cases go to court to try to uh, see justice for the victims, the, the whooping cranes that are shot, and try to create some deterrence to stop people from doing this in the future. Very good. Um, do we have Philip with us now? Philip's there? I'm yes, here. I'm here, Don. Hey, Philip. Hey, good, morning. good How thing. you doing? Uh, Phil, uh, going great. Lizzie Condon's with us. Do you, know, do you two know each other? We haven't yeah, met in met person. We, oh, we did? Uh, yeah, we <laughs> at one of the uh, the crane meeting groups uh, um, oh, and, a few years ago. Either? It's been a while. Yeah, we might have met in Chattanooga well, a, glad. a few years ago. Yeah. Uh-huh. Very good. Philip, if you would, uh, you might pick it up where I left off. I, I kind of told the, the historic uh, story about the whooping cranes, but I, I stopped it where the restoration program began, which I think now was about eight or nine years ago. So if you would pick it up from there and tell us what's been done to restore what was once a, a very healthy and viable population of whooping cranes. Right. Well, we're in our ninth our ninth year of the reintroduction Um and we've we've released uh we started with an initial release of 10 birds uh, in 2011 and uh we've released uh well over 100 birds we're uh we've released about 140 145 birds um currently the the population in Louisiana is uh at about 70 and we're expecting to get a, a new cohort next week actually of 11 birds from from Audubon and uh, so our population is growing in size we've got uh, several pairs that are nesting in the state and um, so we're just looking to keep growing that those numbers and um, and uh, and hopefully getting the message out to the public that uh, you know these are beautiful birds Uh, they're the largest tallest bird in North America and uh, we want people to be able to enjoy it in Louisiana. So we really hope that we can get these numbers to where this population can continue to grow and be self-sustaining at some point. Tell us about the day-to-day uh, work that a, a biologist does uh, and, and how many people are involved in this restoration project and, and what are their duties typically? Right, so we have two full-time staff members located at White Lake Wetlands Conservation Area in in Gaydaw, um, and and uh, we have staff at Rockefeller Wildlife Refuge. Uh, it's my main office where I work out of. Um, we have release pens at both at both areas. Um, so whenever we get a new shipment of of cranes, they they come from captive uh, or they're captive reared at at um, AZA facilities. And we get them around six months of age. We keep them in uh, a, a pen area where we uh, monitor their health, monitor their, monitor their interactions, and, and basically just let them get used to being in a new environment. Um, and once they actually leave that pen area and explore different habitats and parts of the state, um, we have tracking devices on their, their legs, their satellite uh, telemetry devices, so they'll give us GPS locations. We can track their whereabouts. 
Um, if they go to private land, um, we will meet with private landowners. We'll um, fill them in about the project and and uh, um, and meet with them, answer any questions that they may have. And and, and basically, it's a lot of uh, monitoring the birds, uh, meeting with the public. Um, we also go to various uh, events to make presentations to um, to the general public as well. But um, it's it's a full time job. There's always something going on. We, uh, we're really busy during the the uh, winter and early spring, which is when nesting season starts. Um, and we had 13 nesting pairs last year, which was the most we've ever had uh, since the beginning of the project. Well, Philip, it's certainly the, the, the population is growing. Um, what is the future of it? Do we have sufficient habitat and, and are these birds leaving home and, and spreading to other areas of the state? And how much suitable habitat is there in the state? To, and, and how can we be sure that they don't leave? They don't know the boundary between Texas and Louisiana. So I guess if it gets to that point, it'll be a, a, a raving success, and we won't have to be concerned with some, you know, watching the numbers so closely. And you know, if if they're that plentiful at that point, what what is the future for them? Right. I can I can tell you this, Don. We we um, well the. We're very hopeful for the future. Um, I can tell you that habitat is not the limiting factor in, in Louisiana. There, there is a ton of quality habitat uh, throughout the state. Um, we do have birds actually now that uh, do venture into Texas. Often these are young birds that make exploratory trips and will come back to Louisiana, but we do have some that, like southeast Texas, uh, where a lot of that habitat is similar to the habitat in southwest Louisiana. So that just makes us have to coordinate with some of our uh, partners like Texas Parks and Wildlife and uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Texas to, to monitor, to help us monitor these birds and, and coordinate with each other and also talking to, uh, to landowners in Texas. Um, so I think the... Uh, the future is bright for us. We, we, like I said, we've we've got some uh, population growth. The main thing we need to to hope for is that the birds can to, can do their part, which is pair up, nest successfully, produce young that can grow and survive to independence, and eventually keep that cycle going, where they can then pair up and and eventually become self-sustaining. So our goal is to get. Um, at least 25 to 30 productive pairs in the state. Um, and that's a goal set by uh, Canadian Wildlife Service and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service as a, as a delisting objective for the species. Um, so that's what we're really striving for at this point. Well, Philip, we're going to take a break here and we come back. Uh, I would like for you to explain how detrimental it is when one of these mature birds is killed, and I believe we are the, the league leader in Louisiana in the number of whooping cranes that have been shot. Also, I want Lizzie to uh, tell us more about the case. There was a, a case that was held in Lafayette, and there was a pleading and a sentencing that took place. Uh, Audubon Society was kind enough to secure the transcript for us. That transcript has been put on my website, and uh, I've got some comments to talk about that, about how that court pleading went in the sentencing and uh, and talk more about this because I think it's so important 
that this information gets out. It's a, it's a, a very, in fact, this particular case will demonstrate that educational and awareness is, is a big part of the success of the comeback of the whooping crane. We'll be right back. You're listening to More Outdoors. I'm Don Dubuque. Good Saturday morning. And welcome back in. We're discussing today whooping cranes. We're talking with Phil Vassar with Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries and Lizzie Condon with the International Crane Foundation. And we'll get specifically into a case that occurred here in Louisiana. But generally, Philip, uh, when when uh, a bird is, is shot and killed uh, for whatever reasons, how detrimental is that to the species and the flock and your program? Well, unfortunately, Don, it's very detrimental. Um, uh, these birds are, are long-lived, uh, it's a long-lived species. So if you remove a, a, a reproductive adult from the population, um, that has repercussions for many years down the line. Um, and they're very slow to reproduce. They have delayed sexual maturation. Most of them don't start uh, breeding until they're about three years old. So if, if you're removing adults from the population and you've got younger birds that aren't breeding, um, you're also slowing population growth uh, that way. Lizzie, uh, were you at the trial of, of uh, Mr. Oquin, Gilvin Oquin? Yeah, we were at uh, his change of plea and sentencing hearing. So he uh, didn't have a trial because he, initially he did plead not guilty, but uh, – they he changed his plea in court uh last week and um to guilty and then received his sentencing in, in the same hearing well um again i want to thank ottoman society for securing that the complete transcript of the plea and sentencing hearing and it's available on my website and i've been getting a lot of reaction already to it but i encourage people to read it it's a little lengthy in reading but i think it provides some real insight into what goes on in the courtrooms and our justice system. And reading it was kind of a little bit of deja vu for me. Uh, recently, my godchild was murdered, and I went through the court proceedings and the whole thing. And I got to tell you that what I see in the courtrooms, there's so much imbalance of justice in favor of the, the perpetrators and not the victims. And that the judge that handled my family's case was in that fashion. And I got to believe it was in this. Uh, you guys at the International Crane Foundation, Audubon Society, and others did your job. From reading the transcript, I know that no matter what her level of outdoor involvement is, Judge Whitehurst knew the full story and the significance of that crane being killed. Despite that, the sentence she gave, and for people who weren't tuned in, two years probation where you can hunt a fish, 120 hours of community service, and a hunter education course. Put on top of that, his public defender attorney is filing an appeal, which is going to cost him all of 40 bucks because the sentence is too stiff. And, you know, I have sympathy for the man's situation, but, you know, how much more should we as a society do for people like that? We fund him through Social Security. He's getting disability. Uh, his court attorney was appointed. But the way that that judge went out of her way to make sure every I was dotted and every T crossed. And I understand that you got to be complete and, and fairness and, and equal and everything. But I got to feel like the public and, and certainly nature got shortchanged on this, this decision that she rendered. And I'm sure that a lot of people in your organization and the Ottoman Society and others feel exactly the same way. 
Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, and I, I guess I want to say that it was actually Orleans Audubon Society, which is part of National Audubon, but it is a very small chapter uh, part of uh, Orleans Audubon Society that decided to, to get those transcripts for us, which we really appreciate. As you said, they're long, but it starts to get pretty interesting around page 16. Um, and, yeah, we we did feel that way. I Like you, I do feel for, for the perpetrator um, and what the judge said and what what they were trying to point out is that they felt that this was a appropriate punishment for the perpetrator, but that's really frustrating, you know, for people who are advocating for the victim. Um, no matter which way you slice it, it really comes down to it. We don't feel like he got an appropriate punishment for, for what he really did. Um, and I, I'm really afraid that it's not really going to create deterrence for other people. They're going to think, well, it's really not that big of a deal. You can, you can get away with this, this kind of thing. Um, it's pretty on, on the low end for the sentencing that has been administered, uh, especially compared to other states. Well, you know, another thing, some of his actions, uh, you know, saying that he tried to scare the birds. I mean, you don't, I'm a hunter. I've killed an awful lot of birds, and you've got to, uh, you know, make that shot count, and you got to point it in the direction even at a shotgun. If he wanted to scare the birds, he didn't accidentally kill it. He meant to kill the bird when he shot it. I'm convinced of that. Uh, the other thing is, uh, were you privy to what he, I didn't see any testimony as far as what he did with the bird. Did he attempt to hide it? Did he bring it home and eat it? Did he use it for crab bait? What was the disposition of that bird? Um, Phil well, can speak to that. I can answer that. Yeah. yeah, Don, I was actually the one who uh, received the call to um, uh, to go out there and, and, and search for the bird. We actually have it, um, data points for that bird, and, and our data showed that it was not moving. So we suspected that something mm-hmm. was awry. Um, so I made the trip out to uh, Evangeline Parish to search for it, and uh, it was just a sad event. It was the bird was just left there to rot, and it was face down in um, this shallowly flooded uh, rice field. Um, and it was it was just uh, yeah, it's just a terrible situation. I don't I don't understand it. I really don't. I can ask you a question, Don. I know that you're. Uh, a responsible hunter. I don't understand the sentencing of, of why he was ordered to complete a hunter education course. Um, he wasn't hunting at the time. Uh, yeah. I just don't find it. Uh, I just don't find it necessary. If I'm if if I'm a hunter, if I'm a responsible hunter, I would sort of be offended by that because it, you know, it. What we've seen in these shooting cases, more often than not, not it's not even in hunting season. So I think it's just um, irresponsible actions of of, of uh, this man. No, I, I totally agree. I, I don't think the hunter education program is going to help him in, in the little least least bit. I think that was more probably along the lines of, of the public defender showing some actions for some sort of remorse and restitution. But going to sit in a classroom and learn how to be a, a good, responsible, ethical hunter, this is not hunting. This is not hunting. This is just criminal activity, and it, it's. I, I tell you, I'm ashamed to to say that I live in a state where we've got people like this that that just cater to the people who, for whatever reasons, you know. I know people who are poor, and who are, have been in poverty, 
But they're good people. They're ethical people. There's a difference. The two don't go hand in hand. Just because someone is poor and hasn't had the opportunity and lives in a wealthy lifestyle, that doesn't mean they can't be honest and ethical and do the right thing. And this was definitely not the right thing. And if this would have been a 15-year-old or a 14-year-old, maybe, but a 53-year-old man that grew up in Cajun country, he knew what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah, I think that's well said. Well, all we can do is is take this case, and because it is such a, a, a glaring travesty on justice, is what I'm calling it. I'm gonna we're gonna continue to blow this thing up, and if nothing else, it's gonna create more awareness and more publicity about whooping cranes. So maybe the the loss and the death of that ninety three thousand dollar valued bird will be put to some use because we've got an ongoing campaign with the help of the Louisiana Wildlife and Fisheries Foundation and Chevron. Every week on our TV and radio show, we put information out there about whooping cranes. And I know it's hard to reach every person, but the more it gets out there, and, and cases like this are high profile, and people will talk about them. And it will serve, if nothing else, to maybe be a deterrent from that standpoint. And maybe the next perpetrator will not get off so light. We really appreciate that. Well, Lizzie, yeah, do you I would have like to, any? Uh, yeah, go ahead, Phil. Anything you'd like to say? Go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to point out too. You know, there uh, that that monetary figure for uh, the cranes that's usually figured into what it what it takes to to raise the crane from from hatching until uh, until we get them and 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 monitor it on the landscape. What it doesn't take into account is the is the time and effort that our uh, wildlife enforcement agents put into these cases. And I just would like to acknowledge them because they do put in a lot of effort to um, to uh, get these cases and try to find out who the perpetrators are. Um, and they just spend a lot of time and effort. They, they communicate with us trying to get um, evidence for the case. And, uh, you know, I, I just think they do a really good job. And whenever we have a case where we know the perpetrator uh, and we can try to prosecute them uh, and, and, and hold them accountable for this, uh, I think we definitely need to do that. Well, if this is not considered a felony, maybe a, a law change to make it a felony offense, then the people like Mr. Oquan would lose their firearm. The use of the, the ownership and possession of a firearm. I don't think the man should have a gun. If he's that ignorant and that irresponsible, he should not have a firearm of any type for any reason. Right. Yeah. Lizzie, uh, any any final thoughts about what people can do uh, to to help stop these senseless shootings and just you know spread the word and from from the foundation standpoint. Yeah. Um... I think that the most important thing you can do is talk about it. Um, I talk about it all day. That's my job. Um, you know, the International Crane Foundation is involved in many aspects of outreach. Some of the cranes that Phil will be releasing into uh, Louisiana did come from our facility in Baraboo, Wisconsin. We're a captive breeding facility. But I also um, go, you know, I work, mostly work in the Eastern Flyway, but we also have an office in Texas. Um, we, I talk to people about cranes all day long. But the most powerful thing is hearing it from someone you know. Um, and so we always ask, you know, please tell your friends, tell your family, tell your neighbors about this. Of course, posting on social media is so much of how we communicate now. So if people can do that um, and just 
explain to other people why this is a very special bird species. It's really such a miracle that they're still here and um, how important it is that we, we protect them from situations like this. Uh, that would be very helpful. Well, it, it says would... a lot about us as, as humans, you know, about society. When you care enough about another species to do what's been done to restore them and bring them back and, and, and keep them around. So there's a lot to be said for that. And, Philip, you and your crew, I, I've seen the videos, and hopefully one day we can get down there and do a, a TV feature on what goes on. But I know it's very difficult and tedious and sometimes frustrating work, but you guys are doing a wonderful job. Please keep it up. Well, I appreciate that. Yes, you have an open invitation, Don, and I would just like to add, if anyone does have any information uh, about poaching uh, whooping cranes or any other wildlife in the state, there's a toll-free 1-800 number. Um, it's for Operation Game Thief. It's 1-800-442-2511. They can call that number and report it and be anonymous, uh, or they can do it anonymously. There's also a TIP 411 app. Uh, for Louisiana Wildlife and Fisheries that you can um, download and, and report anonymously as well. Um, so if anyone knows anything, there is we encourage people to report these cases, and there are cash rewards for these um, tips. Yeah, and they remain completely anonymous. They never ask who you are. Uh, and, and get your reward money, if you accept. A lot of people turn it down. They just want to do the right thing, and for that we can be proud of. But, again, just to kind of sum this up, thanks both Philip and Lizzie for coming on. I think we can use this as some fodder to, to get more information out and create more awareness so that these will become less frequent than they have. Thanks for both of you for being with us. Thank you. All right, we come back after this. Uh, we're going to take you out. we got some duck seasons going on. It opened up this morning in the coastal zone. Next week is the west zone, followed in the following week by the east zone. Let's find out how the hunters are doing. We'll be back to do that right after this pause. You're listening to More Outdoors on WWL 105.3 FM HD2 Radio. And welcome back in. Uh, we'll get back out to some of our duck blinds and get some reports for you. Some of the reports I'm getting in are ranging from average to poor. I haven't really had anybody tearing them up yet, but Ryan Lambert joins us now. Uh, we had him on earlier. We're seeing a lot of teal, but he also had some trespasses on his property not too far away. Ryan, how's, how is things going now? It's okay. Uh, the skies are empty. You know, just, just teal. You know, oh. Teal buzzing around. Uh, let's see, one blind head, 18, one head, 24. Um, I think my poachers might have had their 18. <laughs> and, uh, the boys oh, on the boy. other beast, they had You know, between, it sounds like yeah. teal season. <laughs> oh, look. Oh, you talk about teal. Oh, my gosh. Blue wings, too, which is really weird. They had this many blue wings this time of year, but you know, they're just a late migration. But they're going to migrate this week. I promise you that. Yeah, but I don't see any migratory to. flights in the sky at all. You know, just big, big girls of teal. Here comes Kinley with Doug. She got him. Good girl. She's boy. She's putting it together really well. She uh, she don't let any cripples get by anymore. Yeah, watch them birds on the left right Did, there. Uh, sky's clear off for you. You got blue sky now. No, no, it's still cloudy here. It's cloudy and cool. Hmm. What you do with the bird, dog? You hit it. (laughs) (laughs) 
I could have sworn she had it in her mouth. Oh, well, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's still cloudy and cool here. Well, I got a little nice wind. Yeah, but, uh, well, you know, when you said you had all those teal early, I thought it was just the early flight of teal, and you were going to get some big ducks a little later. But they would have flown now if they were going to fly. I had one guy that had the 18. He had three gray ducks and the rest teal. And the other guys had 24 teal, just teal, teal, teal. I don't even see big ducks fly. I've seen maybe maybe a dozen big ducks in in, a, in that giant grove of uh, ringnecks that came by earlier. But everything else has been teal. Seen a couple of pintails, a couple of model ducks. It's kind of it's, it's more like teal season than big season right now. Yeah, but, uh, sounds just like teal season. But out on the open bays, I mean, there, there was ten thousand birds sitting out there. I mean, it's incredible how many birds out there. So, well, I'm sure that this uh, this front coming is going to move a lot of those blue wings out of here. So, hopefully, there'll be something to fill in behind them. Well, I think the pressure will move them. They're, they halfway to Nicaragua as we speak. <laughs> All that pressure <laughs> they got on them this morning, they're going to leave. And then, you know, the green wings are compiling in. We'll just uh, see what happens this week. There's going to set cold record temperatures all over the country this week. So it's pretty early yeah. for it. So hopefully yeah. we'll get a big old drove of more yeah. people coming You know, it's strange. Uh, we're, leaving, uh, we're leaving next Friday for, for South Dakota. And we're going to a town called Draper. And Well, wait now. Listen, I was checking the temperatures, and it was 37 there at the same time it was 36 here where I am. It was one degree warmer in South Dakota than it was here. <laughs> yeah, but that big front's coming. Well, that, that could change. That front, that front that's coming, yeah. they say it's going to set record temperatures ever. I mean, there's giant flocks of teal high flying everywhere. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at like 10 big flocks, at least 10 flocks right now. But they're way high, and they're just going back and forth. My goodness, look at them all. I mean, everywhere you look, there's flocks of teal in the sky. Yeah. Maybe some of them will come over here and make a mistake. But I mean, yeah. way higher. Y'all fishing just, this evening? Yeah, everybody's fishing. They got boats fishing right now, and we got like four or five more boats going after we have lunch. We'll go back from Duck Hunt to Cradle Puffs. Come on, look at that. And then we'll go have lunch, and then we'll then we'll fish. I'm gonna watch the LSU game. I'm not gonna fish. <laughs> no, I, I don't blame you. There won't be a whole lot of boats out there after two thirty. I can tell you that. <laughs> no. Well, Ryan, hope things improve. Hope things. Here. I hope things improve, and uh, we'll touch base with you before we head down there on Tuesday night. And Sounds great. Buddy. Make a plan. Right. Okay. Good luck to you. See you, right. Captain Ryan Lambert. From there, let's uh, go to uh, the Reggio Delacro area. We got Captain Mike Smith over there. He's duck hunting. Mike, how has your morning been, my friend? We wrapped up, Don, 24 birds for 7.30. We just pulled up to the dock about 15, 20 minutes ago. It was fantastic. Oh, that was definitely, Here, here's the funny definitely thing. would be a success. We did not shoot the guns until about 6.30, even though shooting hours was what, huh. 5.52, something like that? Uh, yeah. 10 to 6, yeah, somewhere around there. We did not shoot the guns until 6.30. But once we fired those first shots, birds started getting up all over the place, and it was on. <laughs> Did you have a little bit of a mix, or what I've been hearing oh, yeah. is teal, yeah. teal, teal? We have blue wing teal. We have gray ducks, green wing teal, uh, redheads, 
off, and we have a, a lonely spoonbill. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's quite a mix. Uh, that's that's uh, typical it, it was, uh, duck hunt. Th- these gray ducks were coming in, I mean, like I had them on a string. We had six of them come in, <laughs> locked up. I gave them a call. They swung around. I mean, they just sucked right in, no circling. They dropped five of the six. I said, whoa, I'm not going to be here long with these shooters. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good shooting. That's good shooting. Now, do they appear to be young birds or older birds? Young birds, all the young birds. Yeah. All of them. All 24 were young birds. Well, that indicates a, a good hatch. A good hatch, yeah. They're easier yeah. to kill. They're easier to kill. They decoy better. So that's a good start. Oh, yeah. It's a great start, as a matter of fact. Oh, well, you're yeah. number one on the list as far as what you got today. you got to be happy with that. Oh, hell yeah. i got two other boats. Uh, one of them has 14 right now. The other one has 12. They're still out there trying to scratch out a limit. But, hell, you can't complain with 14 and 12, right? you know. Uh, no, sir. Have you heard you know a lot of shooting is. in other areas, too? Oh, yeah. In fact, everyone was shooting around us, and we didn't, like I said, didn't pull the trigger for a while. I was getting worried for a while. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it, it turned out to be the, one of the best opening days in a long time. Well, that's so, good news. You hunting again uh, tomorrow? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definite. Def, def. Um, the guy said, where are we going tomorrow? I said, to the same darn spot. <laughs> Why fool with success? <laughs> That's exactly right. Exactly right. Well, I'm glad you got the, the the great start on the season. Hope it continues for quite a while. If somebody wants to get in on it, and uh, you got some openings for them, either this split or second split or both. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, give me a holler at five zero four two two eight four five zero six, or look us up on the website laduckhunts.com. LADuckHunts.com. Very, very yep. easy. Congratulations, oh, yeah. Mike, and uh, congratulations to your hunters. Sounded like they shot well today. Makes oh, your yeah. job easier. Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. I'll Thanks again, buddy. In, we'll uh, talk to you soon. All right. I'll see you and Martha, what, on November 26th, I believe, right? Right, right. When we come back from uh, South Dakota. Okay. Sounds good. I'll be in touch. All right, buddy. All righty. See you then. All right, that is uh, Mike Smith uh, with L.A. Duck Hunts down there in the Delacroix area with a full 24-bird limit and did it in pretty short order. All right, coming back after this, let's see if we can catch up with uh, Captain Kirk Stansel. Hopefully they're back in the camp already eating breakfast. We'll find out how they fared on the western end of the state right after this pause. You're listening to More Outdoors, WWL 105.3 FM HD2, and we stream live at radio.com. And welcome back in, and uh, we're just going around the state and getting a hold of duck hunters and trying to figure out how the opening day went. Uh, mixed reviews. I got some reports from the uh, Bayou Sauvage National Wildlife Refuge. Now, that is federal property. It's a wildlife management area that uh, is controlled by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Uh, they had several hunters there. That's the one where it's only open if you take a youth with you. Now, the adult supervisor can also shoot and participate in the hunt, but you have to have a youngster with you, and that's in order to ensure that young people get a good opportunity to hunt on public land. And the hunting there has not been good. Uh, some puldu, some dogris, uh, not too much in the way of grays or teal, which are pretty much our bread and butter ducks in the southeast. Now, if you missed it, uh, Mike Smith had a great hunt, uh, quite a mix. Had a combination of divers and mostly puddle ducks, uh, some a lot of grays. Uh, ended up with 24 in pretty short order, although it was a little bit of a late start for them. 
uh, down around the mouth of the river, uh, teal, teal, teal. Uh, Ryan Lambert's blinds, uh, pretty much all of them have limited out, but almost all teal and all blue wings, not a single green wing. That's a little bit unusual, too. I believe we have Captain Chris Pike on the line right now. Is Chris there? Chris, you with me? Oh, we have Jimmy. Jimmy Corley. Oh, we got a dial tone. Now we got Jimmy, I think. Hey, Jimmy. How you, how you doing, Don? Come on. Good, good. Where did you decide to spend your opening day? What, what, where are you hunting? I'm in Canovan right now. We All right, are, and how did it go? Successful hunt. We uh, shot teal, seen some pintails, redheads. We got teal. Um, well, we got a couple uh, ringnecks, scalp. But it was, a, it was a good hunt, real good hunt this morning. Yeah. A lot of, lot Sounds of teal. Sounds like kind of a mix. Yeah. 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 But, uh, well, it's about time, huh? <laughs> yes, we'll be doing uh, just on the pickup out every day, take the blind down. But uh, uh-huh. that uh. Did quite a few people shot around the state? Uh, well, so far, um, I have not got any reports from the uh, the western part. Now, down near the mouth of the river, it sounds like it was almost all teal exclusively. Uh, Mike Smith, who you know, hunts not far from you, he had a good mix of uh, lots of grays, some teal, I think one spoonbill, redhead, uh, and maybe a, a, a dogree or two. So they had a good hunt, and they were done pretty early. So uh, most people are reporting some uh, some good numbers. Now, that refuge kind of puzzles me. You know, I don't know why that, that there's no birds there, but they're in Carnarvon and Reggio. You know, it could be uh, a feed situation. Who knows, you know. But And that can change. You know, once they get a little oh, pressure yeah. somewhere, they could move out. Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah, we got um, we, we shot 18, you know, so we did good. Got our birds. I was just trying to wait a little bit longer to see if there's any grace coming in. But uh, uh-huh. it, it just slowed up. Yeah. Well, y'all headed back tomorrow? Yeah. Yep. Back at it in the morning. So. Now, uh, are your guys wanting to fish or are they going to watch football? Well, I think we're going to try and get a little bit in before uh, LSU comes on for 2.30. So, I think that's uh, that's the game plan. Yeah, you yeah. – yeah, you might be able to squeeze it in. You got to go back yeah, and change boats, or are you going to be able? Yeah, you can't. No, nah, yeah, I'm gonna change boats. I'm gonna take the um, the big boat out. But I ain't far though. I'm yeah, right there. I'm real close. Been? Excellent. I've been limiting out every how's day on trout. We've really? been doing real well. News, yeah, limiting out every day on trout. I ain't, I ain't going to. I ain't going far you know, either. They, they it seems like ever since that second little surge, you know, tidal surge that came in. First we had Nestor. And then we had Olga. Seems like the fishing's really picked up everywhere since then. Yeah, we got a lot of salinity in the water now, um, thanks to that, that last little storm that we had. So put a good bit of salinity in. And uh, just got to fish them. I've been fishing about three and a half to four foot deep under the popping cork. And uh, mm-hmm. we'll camp those live shrimp, of course. And, and that's how, you got to work kind of slow. You know, in the summertime, you know, you usually got to pop it, let it go down pop it what we've been doing now is popping it and leaving this set for about 30 seconds and then pop it again you let your shrimp get all the way down and then they're hitting it i tried to fish the bottom a I little bit you. and um picked up a couple but not too many everything was uh on a shrimp though mm-hmm. so well that's it's a beautiful good day today you know, though. It's good that the, 
Yeah, it is. Gorgeous day to do hunting and fishing and, uh, you know, and then watch yeah. some football. What a perfect day, huh? Perfect day. That's it. Jimmy, if somebody wants to uh, book a trip, either fishing, hunting, or a combination, give them your telephone number. Yeah, they can reach me at uh, 504-258-4431. Or they also can check out my website at waterfallspecialist.com. All right, Jimmy. Thank you, my friend. We'll be checking out with you, checking up with you periodically throughout the season. Glad you had good success both on the hunting and the fishing end. That's great news. Good. All right, Don. You have a good day. Thank you. Jimmy Corley, waterfowl specialist. Well, i got to tell you, looking back at the, the duck season, uh, looks like the, the, the shining star is the place that uh, was – probably the worst during teal season, and that's that Delacro, Canarvon, Reggio area. Uh, according to Jimmy, they had a lot of shooting around him, Mike Smith, uh, and a variety of birds. Uh, sound like plenty of birds down river by Ryan Lambert, but uh, mostly blue-winged teal, which is a little bit surprising. And, of course, those things change in a hurry. So at any rate, uh, those of you who uh, are going to be tuned in next week, uh, we will be broadcasting this program live and direct from Draper, South Dakota. Bad River Bucks and Birds is the name of the place. We've been going there. It's part of our Cajun invasion. And if you want to get an idea of what goes on there, maybe book the trip with us next year if you'd like to come. You're welcome to, to contact uh, Brett Weibel up there and, and get in on it. Uh, it's a three-day hunt. Uh, the flight is not that long. We're leaving on Friday. We'll hunt Saturday. After the radio show, we'll hunt Sunday, hunt Monday, and we'll be back in town Tuesday afternoon. A quick little hunt, pheasants, uh, sometimes a prairie chicken, and maybe a grouse or two might show up. Concentrate mainly on the pheasants. Now, they also have some great deer hunting up there, too, but uh, that's another time, another place for that. This is going to be a bird hunt, and you will see some of it on Bayou Wild TV. In fact, if you go to our past episodes Uh, We have a feature that we did up there last year. We had a bunch of Cajun invaders from the Metairie and Baton Rouge area that came up there with us and had a great time. It was their first time ever shooting pheasants and really enjoyed it. And it's it's a whole different type of terrain there. You know, you can drive on on the hillsides. I mean, there's no marshes and soft bottom. It's pretty much hard ground, a lot of wheat fields and Places where those birds get a couple of places that you look for them, uh, they have these windbreaks that are these uh, these fir trees. And when you see those uh, trees, that generally they, they're there to block the wind. And when it's cold and snow on the ground, those pheasants get up there and get out of that wind to try to stay warm. And you can flush them out of there a lot. Uh, also, there's uh, big stands of cattails, and they're pretty hard to walk through. They're tough because uh, a lot of times those areas are going to, because they, it's in low areas. It stays a little wet, and the ice freezes, so it's hard walking. But uh, you break in canes, and sometimes those things get pretty sharp. But anyway, it's a it's an organized hunt. Uh, they you bring you out there. You kind of got your choice of how you want to hunt. Uh, there's walkers who hunt close to the dogs, and they start to drive, and they'll make what they call a push down through a field along the sides. If you want to be a flanker, you get on the side of the the drive. And then when it reaches you, you advance and you walk with them. And then at the very end, uh, facing the, the push and the drivers is the blockers. And you get dropped off and you just kind of wait there. And uh, what happens is as the flankers on the sides and the drivers in the middle start pushing these birds, the, they push them towards the blockers. So what you've got is virtually a square 
And when those birds get close and the dogs are on them, they got to come out of there. And then it's uh, very, very important that you can identify a hen from a rooster. All you can shoot are the male pheasants. Uh, no shooting of uh, the hens. And they're pretty easy. The, the, the roosters usually, almost all the time, uh, they make a very unique croaking sound when they get up. When you hear that, uh, they're noisier, they're bigger, they've got bigger feathers. But the one identifying mark, if you can't see the colors, they've got a bright red and green head that the, the hen does not have. They've got a long pin tail that, that extends way out. So once you've seen a few of them, you kind of get used to it and you get a little bit of help because they're constantly uh, hollering, you know, what it is. So by the time it flies over you, you can determine whether to take the shot or not. Anyway, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, big, big difference. Usually bitter cold up there. and We've been up there when it's uh, around freezing or below ice, snow, but yet you got sunshiny blue sky days, which makes it uh, pretty pleasant. Anyway, we'll be broadcasting from there. Don't forget to check out Bayou Wild TV. Coming up right now at Cox Sports TV, uh, Channel 37 in most areas, or check your local listings. We've got a special 9 a.m. showing. Uh, John Foltz cooking Death by Gumbo. And we've got Mark Merchant discussing where are the ducks. And also a, a piece about uh, an older guy, Mike Benz, you've heard him on this program with Delacro Corporation, passing the baton of waterfowl hunting tradition and conservation along to two younger guys who are with the Southeast University chapter of Ducks Unlimited. Tune it in. If you can't catch it, well, if you're driving, you can see it uh, tomorrow night at 7 and again Thursday night at 7 on Cox Sports TV. We'll see you next week with another edition of More Outdoors. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.